Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn uh, to the 19th chapter of Acts. This morning, we will jump back into our Acts study, and I know I've been looking forward to it and getting back into a system and a rhythm uh, where we're going each week. And so uh, it's been a while. Uh, it's been since the beginning of December since we've been in the book of Acts, and so we spent uh, time in December in the book of John. The past three weeks, we've been doing uh, some core values. So I'm, I'm excited to get back to the text. And so uh, since it's been a while, uh, since we've been in Acts, I want to remind you of a couple things about the book of Acts. First of all, uh, that the book of Acts is a narrative. Uh, it is literally a historical narrative of uh, from what happened after Christ uh, was buried and raised again and ascended into heaven. And it's the written narrative of when the Spirit descended and the church was born and the church started. Uh, and so uh, with saying that, uh, being that it's a narrative, I think it's important for us to remember uh, that not everything in Scripture, especially the book of Acts, is prescriptive in our life. Uh, rather, some of the things are just descriptive. As in, uh, some of the things we read in the book of Acts, it's not the, the Lord prescribing like, this is what the normative of the church is. It's describing uh, the, just what happened in the life of the church. Another thing we need to remember about the book of Acts is that it's, trans it's a transitional time. It's a transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and what that looks like. That's why we see uh, these different, like, we're, when, uh, like we, even with, and obviously I know that whenever a Jew became a Christian, they remained Jew as well. But even with uh, Paul taking a Nazarite vow and the church is still meeting or they're still meeting in synagogues, there was a, a transitional time between what was the old covenant and the new covenant. Uh, and so we, this is what the book of Acts is, is really how does it move from Judaism being the, the main religion, if you will, of Yahweh to Christianity. And so thankfully, God in his sovereignty has, has kept it for us, but we remember that it's, it's a transitional time. And so the text that we get to this morning in Acts 19, uh, Paul arrives in Ephesus. Uh, and if you remember, whenever we finished up uh, back in December, we met Apollos who, who came to Ephesus uh, and here's what I mean by those transitional times, right? If you remember Apollos, he came to Ephesus, and the, the Bible says, you see this in the end of chapter 18, uh, that he was eloquent, he was competent in scriptures, he was instructed in the way of the Lord, he was fervent in spirit, he, sp he spoke and told accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And remember Priscilla and Aquila took him to the side and said, hey, this is the, more, the way of Jesus more accurately. And then he left Ephesus and went to Corinth, right? And so we see even this guy named Apollos who... Was he a believer before he came in? Was he not? Like he, he could teach the things of Jesus accurately, but he didn't know fully what it was. And then we get to Ephesus, we have some more of those people. It's kind of this transition of people who were kind of caught in two worlds, if you will. People who were caught in the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, that thankfully we're on this side of it, that we're not in that transition. But uh, we see some things kind of shaking out, like God making things clear. So when we get to Ephesus, we see that. But this morning, I want to be delicate with this scripture for a couple reasons. Uh, this this first seven verses of Acts 19 uh, is that there are some uh, uh, denominations, if you will, inside Christianity that use this text as a proof text to support the doctrine of second blessing or the second work of grace uh, or what we also see as baptism with the Holy Spirit. As in there are some people who believe and teach that uh, what we mean by the second work of grace, I, we don't believe this, but uh, that that some people believe that somebody, a person comes to faith 
Uh, and then sometime later, they received the Holy Spirit. That by that being by the laying on the hands of a, of a, a pastor or them praying that, that the, 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 uh, the indwelling of the Spirit happens after salvation. As a matter of fact, this happened to me. I don't know, I was probably 18 or 19 years old. This didn't happen to me, but this, <laughs> being confronted with this theology. Uh, actually, I had a church here in Jones County. I was 18 or 19, and they asked me to come in and share my testimony. So, man, I get up there for like 45 minutes, share my life story, passion, and how the Lord saved me and all that. And we get done, and a lady pulls me to the side, and she says, hey, uh, your story's good, but uh, have you been uh, baptized into the Spirit yet? And I went, yeah, that happened when I got saved, when I was baptized into Christ. And she said, no, 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 no. Have you been baptized into fire yet? I was like, what are you asking me? She said, have you, been, have you spoken in tongues yet? Because if you haven't said, if you haven't baptized as the Spirit, then you're not fully saved yet. And so there's this distinction between, yeah, your salvation by faith is one thing, but until you receive the Spirit, you're not fully saved, if you will. And so that's what I mean by there are branches of Christianity that take this passage that we're about to read and go, look, there's some people who believed in Jesus, but they hadn't received the Spirit yet. The Spirit came by them praying and by the hands of an apostle. And so this morning, my effort is not to bash other beliefs, but to, to clarify for us, for us to know truth, but also for us to discern error. That whenever we see things that aren't accurate, we go, no, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. Matter of fact, we'll see it in when Paul asked them a question that, that ultimately you cannot separate believing in Jesus and the receiving of the Spirit. And that those things don't come at different times, that they happen simultaneously. The one places their faith in Christ simultaneously, God gives them the Holy Spirit. So with that being said, let's read the text. Acts 19, beginning verse 1. It said, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, remember that happened in verse 27, whenever the brothers in Ephesus sent him there. So it happened when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country uh, and came to Ephesus. I'll let Luke next week bring up a map and show you how we got there and all that, but the, the, he's in Ephesus. <laughs> uh, if you're a guest with us, Luke's really good at maps and he has lasers that will blind you. Too. But anyway, uh, anyway, he, he arrives in Ephesus. There, here it is, he found some disciples. Everybody say the word disciples there because that's, that's, that's important there. So he found some disciples uh, we'll find out disciples of who in a little bit. Uh, and he said to them, this just seems random. Did he just randomly meet these people? So I think there's some time that has passed between verse 1 and verse 2. So he met some of the disciples and something about their life, something about the way they talk, something about something that was going on in him uh, made him ask them a question. Here's the question. Verse 2 says, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So something was going on that Paul said, hey, I need to ask them this question. So, and they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Yours may be better translated that the Holy Spirit had been given. Uh, and he said, then into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and they were all about 12 men in all. Let's pray. Father, we love you. 
God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. God, we pray now to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, God, we pray that what we know not, God, that you'll teach us. What we have not, you'll grant us. And what we are not, you'll make us. For the name of Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so this morning, uh, I think this text breaks down really in four points that we want to walk. The first thing that we see about these guys is, first of all, is that knowledge about Jesus is not the same as trusting in Jesus. Knowledge about Jesus is not the same thing as trusting in Jesus. So check out these guys. What we understand about them, the Bible says that, that, that when Paul got to Ephesus, he found some disciples. And so immediately our mind probably automatically thinks oh, they're, they're Christians. Uh, they're, he's calling them disciples because we've seen in the book of Acts so far that the church was known as disciples. But if you read Scripture in total, you'll understand that the Pharisees had disciples. Uh, John the Baptist had disciples. That's what, who these men were. But disciples literally means just a learner. And so these men, evidently, what we see is that they were baptized into John's baptism, understanding they were what? Disciples of John the Baptist. Now, even if they had even, never even met John the Baptist, because John the Baptist died before Christ ever even inaugurated the new covenant. Uh, so whether they had heard him specifically teach or they were just through secondhand, thirdhand, they were people who followed John the Baptist's teachings. John the Baptist is interesting. You may not know who he is. Uh, I'll kind of bring us up to speed. John the Baptist kind of served as a last and a first. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, God spoke through prophets, right? And so the last one we have in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And then there was some 400 years of silence where God did not speak to, uh, to his people through a prophet. And then came what we know as the last prophet, the greatest prophet, that being John the Baptist. He was not greatest in his, because of who he was, but because of what his duty was. Because he was the one and only prophet, if you will, Old Testament prophet, that actually got to see the Messiah and declared this Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away this in the world. And so John the Baptist, he was a forerunner. He was the one that came in and prepared the way. He's a matter of fact, prophets prophesied about him coming to prophesy about the Messiah coming. And so he came and he was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one that would come and actually declare Jesus to be the Lamb of God. They said he was the last Old Testament. He lived and died before Jesus inaugurated the new covenant. He was the first and only prophet to actually see the promised Messiah and declare Jesus as the one who was sent from God. He was the forerunner to prepare the way. And what would happen is he began to teach, because he was doing this before Jesus. We don't meet John the Baptist until we understand Jesus is starting his earthly ministry, other than we have details of his birth. But before Jesus' earthly ministry, John the Baptist already had a ministry and a following. He had disciples that were following him as he was declaring that the Lord is sending one. He didn't know who it was yet, but the, the Messiah is coming. He's preparing the way that God is going to actually send, even send a spirit, that the spirit be poured, up out, poured out upon mankind. And this is what John the Baptist did, and people began to follow him. And one of the ways that they symbolize their understanding need for salvation is that they would be baptized. That's what he said, John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. So what baptism meant for the Old Testament saint, if you will, before Christ, is that they are submitting to their need of salvation. They are, they are, they are repenting of their sin, if you will, and the, uh, the outward symbol of that inward need for repentance is they were baptized. Everybody with me? That's important for us to catch. So John the Baptist, that's what he had. People who followed him, and he said, hey, turn, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah is going to come. May not know who he is yet, but we'll be baptized in understanding our need for repentance. That's what Paul meant whenever he said 
John baptized with the baptism of repentance. He had many people following him and trusting what he taught. And there was one day the scripture records that as John the Baptist actually was baptizing people, he looked and he saw Jesus coming and he declared to those who were with him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And even that day, a few of his disciples left and began to follow Jesus. And then sometime later, people would come to John and say, hey, this man who you said was the Lamb of God, people are leaving us and going to him. And he says, thanks be to God, he must increase and I must decrease. That's my purpose. That's my goal is for people to turn to him. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about John the Baptist. But we must remember in this day, there was no social media. There was no newspaper articles or clips for people to be able to catch the whole picture. And they lived and traveled by foot or camel or however they got by. And so not everybody always got, what, the full picture. And so there was actually, what I'm trying to, here's what I'm trying to, this term disciples doesn't correlate or equal that they were followers of Christ that they have received Jesus. Because even John the Baptist, do you remember whenever he was in prison? And Matthew, uh, whenever he sent word to Jesus and asking Jesus, hey, are you truly the one or should we look for another? That life had even happened. John the Baptist, who once proclaimed this, that he himself maybe even had doubts in the circumstances that were going on. Who's to say that even some of his disciples wouldn't truly, hadn't truly believed? But this is what, we see here that these men were not disciples of Christ. They were disciples of John. They had not believed in the full finished work. Maybe they didn't know the actual finished work of Christ, that Christ actually, Jesus actually fulfilled the very ministry that John prophesied that the Messiah would fulfill and proclaim what he fulfilled. So to declare these 12 men Christians just because they were disciples would be an error. Because look, I mean, even at the questions that he asked, he said, so evidently something's going on, and he said, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so the two questions we want to ask is obviously, disciples of who and what have they believed in? Disciples of who and what have they believed in? Because here's the thing. This is what I understand is that I think that if they were John, the, the men, if they were disciples of John the Baptist, it wasn't that they were completely ignorant to the person of Jesus, Right? Because, I mean, he declared that this is the Lamb of God. And so I think that they had, in essence, they, had, they knew things about Jesus. But maybe they hadn't heard of the actual fulfilled work of Jesus. And they actually see the coming of the Spirit. And so there was an incomplete view of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that is that even Jesus himself had disciples in the Gospels that, not the 12 disciples, one of them left him, but it says in John chapter 6 that there are many of his disciples, after him talking about how he must go, turned back and no longer followed him. So this word disciples doesn't necessarily correlate to being a follower of Jesus. So there was no doubt that these were religious, God-fearing men, but they had yet to trust in Jesus as the Christ. They knew things, possibly, pictures of what the Messiah would be by John the Baptist. But they had not yet trusted in Jesus. John Stott says it like this. In a, in a word, they were still living in the Old Testament 
which culminated with John the Baptist. They understood neither that the new age had been ushered in by Jesus, nor that those who believed in him or baptized in him received the distinct blessing of the new age, the indwelling spirit. And I wrote it like this, that it's impossible to believe, it is possible to believe in things about Christ, yet not believe and trust in Christ. The, the, these guys are kind of a stark warning for us that, because I'll be honest with you, before like really diving into Acts, I was like, yeah, these dudes that, that follow John the Baptist, obviously they trusted in Jesus. But I mean, John, I mean, he made it so clear, he pointed out, here's the Lamb of God. But what we see in this text is that just because they knew and believed things about Jesus doesn't equal that they have placed their faith in Jesus. And I ask this, have, have you taken hold of Christ this morning? Have you trusted in Jesus? Because my fear for the Bible Belt, my fear for Cross Point Church is that we know just enough about Jesus to be a danger to ourselves. That we know just enough gospel truth that we are comfortable with that truth that we have, yet we have not taken hold of Christ through faith. That we are, we are, we are banking on, we are, have our confidence in this knowledge that we may have, but we have not trusted in the person and the finished work of Christ. Because knowledge about Jesus is not the same as trusting in Jesus. And notice... Notice what Paul does, does not say. So he, say, he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we're not even heard of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't know the Holy Spirit had been given. And he said to them, and what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, okay, this is how you receive the Spirit. He didn't say, just pray more and receive the Spirit. He didn't just say, go get in the water and receive the Spirit. But look at what he says. He said, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. He didn't tell them to pray for the Spirit. He said, no, trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, because when you believe in Jesus, you receive the Spirit. When you trust in Jesus, the, listen to me, the Spirit is about Christ, right? The Spirit will point us to Jesus. And so he says, listen to me, your issue is not a baptism problem or a spirit problem. Your issue is that you haven't trusted in Jesus yet. And if you trust in Jesus, you'll receive the Spirit. Because he'll give it, God will give it to you graciously. He points them to Christ. John's message, he says, was to point and lead people to Jesus. Everything you've learned from John the Baptist, it culminates in this person named Jesus. This is who he was telling you about. This is who it was pointing to. The second thing we see. In this text is that all who trust in Jesus receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, notice how easy and quick this is. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus, they didn't, they didn't have to drag them down the aisle. And hearing this, they said, yes. Hearing this, they believed in Christ. It says on hearing this, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus 
John's baptism that they experienced before. Uh, it was a picture of repentance. The Christian baptism is one picturing regeneration, that God has done a new work in our lives. John's baptism was the one looking forward to the promise, forward to the promise of the Spirit. Christian baptism is one declaring the present and precious receiving of the Holy Spirit. And so when these men, we don't, we don't see that they said, yes, uh, they, didn't raise, they didn't bow their head, close their eyes, and raise their hand. But when they, present, they were presented the gospel, their baptism was their declaration that they trust in this man named Jesus. Before, they were just disciples of John. They weren't, they weren't pagan. They were religious men who knew things about Jesus. But upon hearing the gospel, it says that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, as in they publicly declared, we place our faith in this Jesus. It says, when Paul laid hands on them, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were all about 12 men and all. So they placed their faith in Jesus. And not to get ahead of myself, but Paul lays his hands on them. Listen, I said, this is not the normative. This is a special purpose, which we'll get to. So Luke isn't telling us in the book of Acts, hey, this is what every church service should look like. That when somebody places their faith in Jesus, it's dependent upon the pastor to come in and lay his hands on them for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. It's not the normative practice, but we see, and I'll get to it at the end of why I believe it's there and why it's been there a couple times throughout the book of Acts. It says they received the Spirit. This is not the second blessing or the second act of grace. What we see totality in scriptures, the norm of the Christian experience is a cluster of four things. Repentance, faith in Christ, the gift of the Spirit that's followed by baptism. We can't take one experience in the book of Acts and say that's the normative. We look at scripture and say this is what salvation is a cluster of. Repentance of sin, faith in Christ, the gift of the Spirit that happened simultaneously there and is followed by a believer's baptism. It's a just man that says that they were disciples and they had believed but then Later on, they received the Spirit. And I believe that whenever they trusted and when they were baptized into Jesus, I believe at that point they were baptized into the Spirit. And this word coming upon is that word that's like that we see in Acts 2 that it came upon to empower, to what it empowered them to, to speak in tongues and to prophesy. It was an empowering, if you will. And this is what Scripture says. And I actually I was talking to Josh this morning. If I were going to teach like the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, Acts probably wouldn't be my primary text. Obviously, Acts 2 with him coming, we have to know Acts 2 teaches us that he came. But if you look throughout Scripture, we see the doctrine of the Holy Spirit more explicitly, not just in this one experience of Ephesus, but what Scripture says about all believers. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, it's going to come up on the screen. Actually, I want to read it with us. In him, so, so check out the words that are underlined. In him you also win. Everybody say win. When you heard the word of truth and the gospel for your salvation and what? Believed in him. So when you believed, right? When you heard and when you believed, what happened? You were with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Scripture teaches us, here's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in salvation. When someone hears the gospel and trusts, at that moment, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the next word is until. Until what? Until whether he comes or I go, I have this permanent seal. And when did it start? The moment I heard and received the gospel. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, could it be more explicit than this next sentence? Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So for us to say somebody can be saved and not have the spirit yet is to make God a liar. You follow me? And so scripture here says, man, listen to me. When we get born again, thanks be to God, we receive the gift of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we are sealed until we gain in our inheritance fully. Which I just want to kind of side note here. I'm thankful for that, that, that doctrinal truth right there. That I don't, I'm thankful that in my life I'm not dependent upon some other man to lay his hands on me for me to receive the third person of the Trinity for assurance of my salvation. Like I'm thankful that, that we have by the gift of God and not of ourself. I'm thankful for even in the Old Testament that God talked about this new covenant that was going to come about. He was looking at people who uh, they were as according to their own strength that they had to obey the old covenant and, and obey all the laws and all the rules. And, and finally, God through Jeremiah says, listen, I'm going to do a work in you. And what I'm going to do, or Ezekiel, I'm going to take that heart of stone out of you and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. But not only that, I'm going to place my spirit within you and that spirit will cause you to walk in my statues and obey my commands. Like I'm thankful that in the new covenant, listen to me, God doesn't just leave it up to us, but he actually places himself inside of us to help enable us to walk in the way he's calling us to walk. And here's like a second, like whatever the third time. No matter if you've been born again for two minutes or 22 years or 52 years, listen to me. You have the same amount of Holy Spirit in you as the child of God as Apostle Paul. That same Holy Spirit that sealed you at the moment of salvation is the same Holy Spirit that sealed him on the road to Damascus. Listen to me. <laughs> Think about your greatest hero. Maybe you're thinking, man, I'm just, I'm just not equipped like Paul, and I'm just not powerful, and I'm not passionate or whatever. Like, whoever your spiritual giant is, whoever your spiritual hero is, maybe even sitting in this church right now, and you have the same amount of Holy Spirit in you as a child of God as they do. It is a gift of God that all who place their faith in Jesus receive the gift of the Spirit. Thirdly, and this isn't just the main big point in the text, but maybe you saw it how, but the word, I realize the word prepares us to trust in Jesus. Even though John's message to them was incomplete, if you will, rather because he died or they just didn't hear it, God still used it for them to trust in Jesus. 
Did you, did you catch that? Like, they, they believed something of John's teaching, and when they heard the full gospel, it was like, yeah, we believe it. Upon hearing this, they believed and were baptized. John's message and his teachings led them to trust in Jesus. God used and still uses the words of his messengers. It did not return void. Even years after John had preached it and probably had already died, God used John's words to lead these men to trust in Christ. In Romans chapter 10, beginning of verse 9, we read, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing the riches, his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen to that, right? How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And this is a beautiful passage here that tells us, listen to me, this is why we preach the word. It says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Y'all, this is why we preach the gospel. We don't know when, we don't know exactly how, but we believe that us, not just us on stage, but us preaching the gospel, that God will bring people into the faith. It may not happen in a moment, but God's word does not return voice if we keep preaching. And I wrote it later, so you preach what you know and trust God to bring the growth. Fourthly, and I'll wrap this up. All who trust in Jesus are incorporated into his church or brought into his church. Look again at verse 6. When Paul had laid hands on them, so Paul, the apostle Paul, is who what? Is the one that's laying the hands on. Remember what the, the apostles are the ones that Christ sent out to be uh, gatekeepers, if you will. They're the ones that, that, that through them that he, he, he built his church here on earth. Obviously, through the power of the Holy Spirit, but these men uh, were ones who he had sent out, and they had a certain amount of authority given as in what they loosed on earth. It would be loosed in heaven. There's this exact authority that, that Christ had given his apostles. So the picture of the apostle Paul being the laying the hands on is more important than just the act of the laying on of hands. Everybody with me? And this is why I believe that. So when Paul laid his hands on, said the, 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 the Spirit came upon them. This is a, a mini Pentecost, if you will. Remember, they said, we have no knowledge of this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit had been given. They were ignorant of Pentecost. And so God, in his goodness, gave them a little mini Pentecost here in Ephesus. And whenever he laid his hands on them, the Spirit came upon them. And remember, I want to remind you, in Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can thumb back to Acts 1. Remember Acts 1.8. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses where first? It's Jerusalem. 
that is Acts chapter 2, right? And so that's when it begins. So you be my in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all to the end of the earth. And so let's follow along in times in which we see an apostle come in and lay his hands on a group of people and the spirit coming and being received. You ready? Acts 1, 8, we see that in Acts chapter 2 is whenever we see the day of Pentecost and that they're where? In Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. And then it says in Judea to Samaria. So we see the Holy Spirit come, tongues happening, and people come to know Jesus. And then the next time we see something like this is in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, flip there, and this is whenever the gospel makes it to Samaria, and Peter goes down to Samaria, and the scripture says that he lays his hands on them, and they receive the Spirit. Then again, we see it in Acts chapter 10 verse 44 when the holy spirit falls on the gentiles and if you remember what we said during those times it did a couple different things one it, it, they had the apostolic authority as in saying that the apostle whether peter or paul is looking what god is doing and say yes this is of god but it also puts those churches and those people in subjugation or subject to the authority of the apostles. As in, by Peter showing up in Samaria saying, listen to me, this isn't some second-rate form of Christianity. These people are under the same guidelines as the church in Jerusalem. They're the same church as the church there, just in different locations. Then you see it to the Gentiles, and now you see it in Ephesus. So what's the point? What's the point of having this on here? Number one, I believe, is that the apostolic authority, approval, and acceptance. That Paul was declaring, and Peter did in Samaria, that these aren't second-rate Christians. They're members of the household of God. They're not, and also, they're not free to just make their own sect of Christianity. They're under the same authority as the church in Jerusalem. Secondly, I think is a personal confirmation that the Spirit had been given. Remember, they were completely ignorant of the Spirit had come, and so for them, it was a visible, if you will, expression that they had received the Spirit. And thirdly, it's a collective assurance that these people are included in the church, that these aren't just some pagans that are second-rate or third-rate, that because of the gospel, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile nor Greek, but one in Christ. I think I'm not a biblical theologian by any stretch of the imagination. Luke could tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the reason why we've seen it in, in 2 and 8 and 10 and here is to show in, in the history of the church that this is one church. It's not a church that's in Jerusalem made up of Jews and a Samaria made up of half Jews and half Gentiles. And over here, and in this place, is all Gentiles. It is one church. Listen to me. That we, when we say the church of God, what we mean, and we say it all the time, is for all people from all time that have been saved by God's grace. It's one body, one people that serve one Lord and dwell by one spirit that worship one God. I think that's why it's such a unique story to show, remember, transition and narrative of history. Listen to me, this isn't just some random group of people. This is God's people that have been saved the same way that people did on Acts 2 in Jerusalem and Samaria in Acts 8 and Gentiles in Acts 10. So what's the conclusion of this text? My points, I've already told you. So in my preaching class, they told me, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, then tell them what you told them. 
And so I think I've done the first two. And here's the, here's the summary of these points is just because you know a little bit about Jesus doesn't mean you've trusted in Jesus. This morning, have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in him? But here's the good news of this text is that no matter, no matter what you've held on to, what you didn't know, what you don't know, what you can know now, is that the grace of Jesus is available to you this morning. That this one that John the Baptist said is, Behold, the Lamb of God, fulfilled that very title that John the Baptist gave him. The Lamb, you may not understand a lot about church, Christianity, or Judaism. The Lamb is what, what was sacrificed for their mission. It was something that God told the, his people to do, Israel, every year to sacrifice this Lamb. And whenever that, the, 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 the Lamb would be sacrificed, uh, that their sins would be forgiven for a year. But every year they would have to do it. So it was never eternal. It was never perfect. It was never like we can never actually say our sins are gone because we knew next Passover, whatever, we'll have to do this again. But thanks be to God that the night that Jesus sat down with his disciples, he told them, man, I've been looking, waiting a long time to take this Passover meal with you. For all these years, these lambs that have been sacrificed, they were all pointing to me. Because I'm going to go and I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to be crucified i'm going to be sacrificed and as john said for the for the remission of sins for the sins of the world on that friday the lamb of god was crucified the bible says he was placed in the grave and then three days later he rose again and that lion rose as a conquering king and the Bible says that he ascended on high and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And now he, the one who the Lamb that died upon a cross, has now been given the authority to all who confess and believe in him, he can forgive their sin. So no matter what you don't know or don't know, now you know that. And that's enough for you to trust in Jesus. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to have. I'm sure these dudes still had all kind of questions. But what they knew was that, that the Lamb of God came, that God, the one that God promised, came and fulfilled his purpose. And they would just trust in that they could be saved. That's all you got to know. You don't have to know all the ologies and the this, that, and the others. Just know that you're a sin sinner in need of a Savior, and God sent the Savior you need. And all you have to do is confess that he is Lord and ask for him to save you. That's the first take home from this text. Second is this. If you've trusted in Jesus, you have the full power of the Godhead living within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't feel it. I've said it before. It's, it's, not a, it's not a question of how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much does the Holy Spirit have of you? It's how much are you submitting to the Holy Spirit that's within you? Because if you are a child of God, listen to me, you do have the Spirit in you. Why? How can I say that? Because the Bible, we just read the Bible verse. It said it. I'm pretty black and white. I'm not that smart. So if it says it, then I believe that he's, if he's, it's so... So let me kind of just, that, 
that conviction you feel whenever you know you've been sinning or that drawing you have to come to church to be with God's people, or that drawing you have whenever the preacher opens up the Bible, even you open up the Bible, that you have a desire to understand it, that's the Holy Spirit. Because that is not of you. That is not of the flesh. Paul tells us in Galatians that if we, this is a crazy statement, but it's like, it's explicitly, he says, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Like, not, may not, will not. And so, listen to me, child of God, in you and in me, we have everything within us for to walk as God has called us to walk and live as God has called us to live. Now, we're going to fail. I'm not preaching a sinless perfection. You, if you know me, you know that I definitely don't believe that. But what I am saying is that God has called you to himself. has also equipped you to be able to live for his glory, not just for yourself. What that also means is that, I mean, how does, how does Jesus stick it, stick it closer, closer than a brother? Well, he places the spirit within you. No matter where you walk, he's with you. Wherever he goes, he's with you. Be reminded of that this morning, that you do have the full power of the Holy Spirit within you. The last thing is that God uses his word to save people, so may we preach it, may we boldly proclaim it, that there is no other way for man to be saved yet through the preaching of the gospel. And don't just buy into the use words when necessary. I get that. But it's through the, the vocalization of the gospel that men come to know Jesus. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for just this somewhat weird passage in Acts 19 that we may not know what to do with. But God, we thank you for clarity. Pray your Holy Spirit continues to clarify things for us and give us wisdom and discernment. God, I thank you that, that when we trust in you, God, you do a work in placing your spirit within us and the agent or the means in which that comes about is your grace. Not some apostle or not some preacher that has to lay their hands on us, but God, it is, it is you who does that work. So God, I pray now for maybe the person in here sitting in here that maybe even would be classified with the, the almost 12 of Acts 19. They know things about Jesus, Maybe they live a good moral life. They come to church. But they know in their deepest parts of their hearts, they have not trusted in Christ. This morning, will you, will you give them the faith to call upon Jesus? God, for the child of God in here who maybe is weak and wounded or tired or at despair. God, I pray that you remind them the spirit that they have within them, not their spirit, but your spirit, the Holy Spirit that is within them. God, when we look at what you've called us to do and called us to be, God, may you teach us how to, to walk by the spirit, to live by the spirit, to love by the spirit. God, I pray you teach us to be more spirit-filled and spirit-dependent.
to, to preach your word that you use to draw men to yourself. Father, we love you. So Christ, let me pray. Amen. We're going to stand, and Luke and I will be standing in the back. If you need to talk or chat, we'll be back there. Now you stand and respond as the band leads.